Hello, welcome to the girl session. I think it's all ladies. I don't see any boys in here. So you may already know me if you go to Grace Church. My name is Katie Petrus, but I know there are lots of churches here today represented. So welcome to everyone. I'm so glad that you're here. Uh, so my name is Katie Petrus. I'm married to Josh Petrus. And we uh, just one week ago on Sunday celebrated 11 years since becoming Facebook official in a relationship. <laughs> Do you guys have Facebook? Is that even a thing anymore? <laughs> so um, I am mom to Jude. He'll be four in September and Chloe will be two in October. Before I had them, I worked as a nurse, as a school nurse. So that's a little bit about me. I want to know about you guys. Do we have any freshmen in here? Freshmen? Okay. Hi, freshmen. Sophomores? Hi. Juniors? Okay. And seniors? And leaders? Hi. If you've ever been to a talk on like womanhood before or just for girls, what has the topic been? I'm curious. Have you ever been to a summer camp? Girls, or is this your first for everyone? Awesome. Okay. I'm excited. I've been praying and preparing for the session for a long time. So I'm really excited that it's finally here. The more that I have poured over these verses related to women, the more joyfully satisfied I have been in my role in life. So I really hope that that's the same for you. And whether you chose this breakout because you want to hear what the Bible says about women or just because your small group was coming, I know that God has you here for a reason. As Josh said at the first night, God has everyone here because he planned it. And what an amazing morning we have just to hear from his word, the Bible. So let me pray as we begin. Lord, thank you so much for this time just to gather as ladies together. God, we want to learn from your word what you would have for us. We want to please you in this time. We want to be listeners. God, I pray that you would help me to speak everything that you want me to, and that I would be clear in communicating what you've written in your word. I pray for the ladies here that they would be listening and even evaluating their own lives, that they would have a desire to match up to what you want for them. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. So as the title of this session says, we're going to look at biblical womanhood. The topic was chosen this year because of the overwhelming unbiblical messages that are being sent to young ladies in our culture. We want to stand on truth as we consider womanhood. So there are many passages in the Bible that speak about womanhood, but today we're going to look at the book of Titus. So the book of Titus is a letter written by the apostle Paul to his son in the faith, Titus. This younger colleague of Paul's went with him on missionary journeys, including this one to the island of Crete in Greece. So they told the people, the pagan people in Crete about Jesus. They told the Cretans that their sins separated them from holy God, but that through Jesus, they could be saved. And many of them believed they were convicted of their sin, turned from their worldliness and followed Jesus Christ. But now there were a bunch of new believers living in Crete. What were they to do now? Well, Jesus puts his people together in churches. We worship together, we're taught the word together, we encourage each other, and we evangelize together. So Titus, Paul's colleagues, stayed in Crete to set up the church, and Paul continued on his missionary journey. But Paul didn't forget about them, and he wrote this letter so we can read it and learn from it today, too. So what was important for this new group of believers to know? In the book of Titus, we see some character portraits. We see elders. They're not to be arrogant or quick-tempered. There's older men there to be sober-minded and dignified. Younger men are urged to be self-controlled. And then comes the part we're going to explore today to older and younger women. 
And we're going to come back to that. But there's another character portrait that we have to look at, and that's to some troublemakers. There were men who were bothering and deceiving the church, these false teachers. They contradicted the word. They didn't submit. They deceived the people. And they did it all for shameful gain. They were divisive, and they stirred up trouble. They professed to know God, but they denied him by their work. So Paul gets really specific in pointing out these false believers, these false teachers and what they taught. So we need to look at confusion in our culture, in our topic of biblical womanhood, so that we don't fall into those traps. So first this morning, we're going to look at confusion in our culture, both in the world and even in some Christian circles. And then the next part will be about creation and Christ. And then lastly, we'll look at clarity on our conduct. So first, confusion in the culture. The world we live in has a lot to say about women, doesn't it? Women's rights make the front page news all the time. So just to illustrate that, when I wrote this first, the big thing was Captain Marvel, the superhero movie that uh, starred a female superhero. And then there was the next movie, Avengers Endgame, where the girls had their girl superhero moment. And then there was the Women's Soccer World World Cup and Megan Rapinoe. And I'm sure there's going to be something else tomorrow that uh, just shows that our culture is very consumed with women. So you can raise your hand. I'm going to ask you, what do you think our culture values in women? What is important in our culture that women have? Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Power. Yeah, definitely. What else? Beauty. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. What we think, the way we think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sharing our mindset, our worldview, for sure. Anything else? Uh-huh. You see it. Independence? Yes, that's a big one. Yeah, thank you. So unfortunately, our world is very confused because it doesn't have the Bible as its source of truth. Um, we are going to expose some of those myths that we see in our culture, both, like I said, in the world and in religious culture, so that we're not vulnerable to them. So in the worldly culture, The big phrase is do more of what makes you happy. I see it on shirts and hashtags and letter boards. Do more of what makes you happy. Our society pushes happiness as the number one priority in a person's life. Freedom is when someone takes whatever path they choose in relationships or in their faith. The problem is that then these people are enslaved to their own happiness. And you know that every day is not the best day ever. We have great joy in Christ, but we also have trials and we have emotions and we get hurt sometimes. If happiness is someone's number one goal, then they'll be disappointed in how rarely that can be achieved. See some of the paths that people take to happiness. Think about our country and its love for wealth. Having more money makes someone happy. If a girl can spend hundreds of dollars on an outfit and buy herself a Starbucks every day, venti even, then she's in a good place. But God says you can't serve him and money. You can only have one master. Or maybe a woman can achieve happiness with her body. That was mentioned. Beauty, fitness, sexuality all define who she is. She dresses in a way that shows off her body without any regard for others. Women become controlled with obsessive diets and crazy workouts and lots and lots and lots of makeup and exquisite outfits. But God says charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Or achievement can make a girl happy. She must prove her worth through accomplishments. In school, it's 4.0 or higher, getting into the number one college. Or maybe sports, a spot on the varsity team and winning championships. 
Looking to the future, she won't have time to be a wife and mom because she needs to climb the corporate ladder and get a high paying job. But God says you can never achieve the righteousness required by the law. It's only through Jesus' life and death on your behalf that you're made good. And the apostle Paul said, we don't seek the approval of man, but of God. Maybe relationships can make a young woman happy in our culture. Their world would come crumbling down if her friend is mad at them. She contemplates giving in to sexual sin to keep a boyfriend. She spends hours on Instagram liking photos, hoping that those people will like her photos back. But we find fullness of joy in God's presence. Feminism says equality will make women happy. So feminism, I looked it up, is defined as the advocacy of women's rights based on the equality of the sexes. I don't have a problem with equality because we are equally made in the image of God. But I don't think they mean equal in value because that's true. They mean the same in function. Anything you can do, I can do better. They say a woman will be fulfilled when she can live out all the same roles as a man, like lead the family, work a nine to five job, preach in church. Women are equal, but we have distinct roles, the Bible says. Maybe sexual freedom will make someone happy. Feminists and transgender advocates once rallied together, but now it's falling apart because males want to pretend to be females and play on a girl's team. But since they're stronger, they dominate the girls and the feminists don't like that. Homosexuals insisted that we can't judge them because they don't have a choice. They were born this way, as the song says. But as the rainbow flags hire the LGBTQ community says, it's their choice. You can't stop them. Do you see how confused and deceived our world is? Happiness within ourselves can never satisfy. Thank God we find truth in the Bible about what real happiness is, and we find our security in Christ. So that's a little about our world. Let's look at even within the Christian culture, there is some deception that you may have heard of. Satan is not content to mess with the unbelieving world, but he tempts religious women to believe twisted truths too. I actually read a few books that are really popular right now and even sold in Christian bookstores, but they're not based on an understanding of scripture. Many women think that just being a good girl, going to church every Sunday, or at least Easter is all that's needed to get into heaven. They don't understand that God is supposed to be a part of every day of their lives. So one of the books I mentioned is called Girl, Wash Your Face. It's really a self-help book. It's not a Christian book based on the Bible. She talks about the problems women face and how a good Christian girl might solve them, figuring out life on her own, that true religion is being true to yourself, but the author doesn't go to scripture as the roadmap for life, except where she writes that she's pretty sure it's taking it out of context. I'm pretty sure that your church, just like mine, tries to keep verses in context and understand what the Bible actually says. Another book is called A Year of Biblical Womanhood. The author researched some Old Testament civil laws for women and then tried to do it for one month uh, during the year to the extreme. And the point was to make the Bible look archaic and impossible. And in the end, the most important thing was lessons that you learn about your own spirituality along the way. Ladies, don't read Bibles that aren't based on an understanding of the Bible. They say Bible, don't read books. <laughs> read the Bible. <laughs> Don't read books that aren't based on an understanding of the Bible. You know that. If the Bible is cavalier toward the Bible or never focuses on chapters and verses, it's not worth your time. Can I actually tell you some books that I really appreciated as I was studying this? So one is by Nancy Lee DeMoss. It's called Lies Young Women Believe. 
it's really helpful. She lists some lies kind of like I did, but much more full and then explains the biblical response to those. Let me be a woman by Elizabeth Elliot. That's a great one. And lastly, a woman after God's own heart by Elizabeth George. That's a once a year read for me. I love that one. So you may think that you would never set eye on a book like I just described or listen to feminist propaganda, but can I ask you, do you have Instagram? Do you have Twitter, Facebook? Do you follow anyone? Of course. What do you, what does the word follow mean? Have you thought about it? Have you given time to think about what the person stands for that you follow? Maybe an Instagram influencer. And do you want to be pulled in that direction? Is that a godly direction to go? The pictures we see and the words we read, the songs we listen to, they do have an impact on our hearts and minds. Who is your role model? Let it be someone who's following Jesus. So rather than fall prey to confusion in the culture, Christian women live different. And we understand God's calling for women in the Bible. So now we definitely need to open up our Bibles, don't we? So turn to Genesis 1. We've been in Genesis a lot this week, haven't we? So I'm so glad we're going back to it. And you already have a good foundation from what was already taught. What is something we can learn from the first chapter, the first few chapters of Genesis? You can raise your hand. What do we learn in the first couple chapters of Genesis? Yeah. God created everything. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Perfect. What else? Uh-huh. The fall in Genesis 3. Yeah. The fall of mankind into sin. Yeah. We are. We're created in God's image. That's good. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. As, as Austin said, the crown of creation. You guys are so good. Austin would be really proud of you. <laughs> So we're going to look at Genesis one. We're going to look at the creation of humans as male and female, and then humanity's need for a savior. Did I tell you we're in part two creation and Christ? So we'll look at creation of humans as male and female, and then our need for the savior. Elizabeth Elliot wrote in order to learn what it means to be a woman, we must start with the one who made her. So I want to look at Genesis one 26 to 27. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. God created mankind and he made them male and female. That's what binary means, by the way. What a provocative thing to say in our culture, but it is 100% true. We don't have the choice to be a man or a woman, and that's not because we had a gender assigned at birth. That's because it's the gender God assigned before you were a single cell. Turn to Psalm 139, 139. You have to see this with your own eyes. Psalm 139, verses 13 to 16. Psalm 139, 13 starts, for you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret 
intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your days were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Accepting God's sovereignty over this would save so much angst in those who are questioning or actually try to change their gender. Depression and suicide are extremely common in transgender individuals because our sex is not meant to be changed, but embraced. One evidence is the mental anguish that it causes. So God chose each man to be male and each woman to be female. And he gave them distinct roles from the beginning. Adam was made first and given direction to work in the garden and rule over the animals. But it was not good that he was alone. So God made a helper fit for him. And Adam named her Eve. Woman was created as a helper, a perfect complement to the man. And all of this took place before sin entered the world. Their relationship was very good. It was only after the fall that the relationships between man and woman became difficult. And woman would not desire to help and to follow, but to rule over man. Just as rejecting one's gender is contrary to God's design and harmful to someone, so is rejecting God's distinct assignment for us as women. So we are also made in his image. Not only did our Lord create male and female, he made them in his image, in his likeness. People are like him in ways that animals and plants are not. We were given the job of filling the earth and subduing it. And he also gave man the special privilege of knowing God and representing him here on earth. You might know that this didn't go very well. Mankind failed at their special position and responsibility as image bearers. They were tempted, and instead of dismissing Satan's lies, they listened and disobeyed. Man's relationship with God is now tainted with sin, and it wasn't just Adam and Eve. Every person born has been created in the image of God, and each person has sinned and rebelled against God. The Bible says all have fallen and all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. None is righteous, no, not one. But way back at the beginning, with the first man and woman who fell, God promised a savior who would crush the serpent. A Messiah would come to save people from their sins. But wait, you might be wondering what this talk has to do with womanhood. Well, we have to have a clear understanding on sin and our savior in order to live as the woman God wants us to be. This is key. We have to connect salvation with biblical womanhood. And Paul does in the book of Titus, our passage this morning, Titus 2. So you can go ahead and turn over to Titus. We're going to be in chapter 2. Titus is over in the New Testament. Kind of the middle there. So Titus 2. So remember, this is a letter from Paul to Titus the new, and the new church. So we were just talking about the fall of mankind into sin and the promise of a savior. So I want you to listen in this passage. I'm going to read out of Titus 2. So listen for the appearing of that promised savior. This passage is going to talk about it. So take a little note when you see what you think it's talking about, the, the coming of the savior, just write it down and then I'll ask who has it. So Titus 2, 1 through 12, but as for you, Titus, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith and love and in steadfastness. Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women. 
to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teachings show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. So where was it? Where did the Messiah come? Yes. Verse 11. Yes. The grace of God appeared and brought salvation. Jesus Christ came. So Paul says, live this way as he gave those descriptions. Live different because Jesus came. Because God brought salvation to us so that we would renounce our old ways and live for him. John MacArthur said, the sovereign purpose of all exhortations to holy living in scripture is to honor and glorify God through the righteous living of his people, leading to the salvation of more sinners. We adorn the gospel, as verse 10 says, and adorn, it has the same root word as cosmetic. It's like putting on makeup. We make it look beautiful, make it look attractive by leading righteous lives. We lead others to Christ. Do you know what a prerequisite is? Like in school, you don't move on to first grade until you've completed kindergarten, right? Well, my mom was a kindergarten teacher for many years. And once in a while, she had the same student two years in a row because they just quite, quite didn't know their letters. And do you know what these little cuties are called? Kindergarten experts. <laughs> Any experts in here? It's okay. You don't have to admit it. <laughs> but you understand prerequisites, just like in high school. You can't take English four until you've completed one through three because you just wouldn't understand the concepts in, in English four. You wouldn't be ready for it. So just like that, believing the gospel is like a prerequisite for biblical womanhood. You have to get that salvation is a gift. It's not earned by studious observance of every command to women. And you have to get that obeying God's commands to women is the joyful response of one who has been redeemed and wants to adorn the gospel so that others will come to believe in him too. That's the main point. So we've looked at confusion in our culture. We've seen creation and the coming of Christ. And now we're going to move to our last part, which is clarity on conduct. So let's turn our attention to those good works that are prescribed for women in Titus chapter two. We're going to have four points on the, co the conduct that's described. First, we have reverent leaders. We are to be reverent leaders as women. Titus two, three through four a says older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. And so train the young women. The more mature women are examples of godliness. They pass on the truth and they train the young women. Church leaders don't teach you their own personal spiritual journey, but they teach from the Bible. First Corinthians 11, one says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. And what do they imitate? Well, just before that in first Corinthians 10, Paul says, 
that so what what whether you eat or drink or whatever you do do all to the glory of god so you need both instruction like right now and then you need real-time training you need to watch a more mature christian lady live this out and help you navigate life in a godly way these women who were to teach and train needed to be above reproach so paul writes that they should be reverent not gossips not getting drunk instead of using their free time for idle talk and passing on stories of others or drinking excessive amounts of wine, older women are to invest in others. God wants his ladies to be reverent, to act appropriately. Paul writes of that gentle and quiet spirit in 1 Peter 3, 3 through 4, which is another passage full of instruction for women, by the way. So I think these verses are fascinating in 1 Peter. It says, do not let your adorning, remember the cosmetics, putting on, be external, the braiding of hair, putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. To be gentle and quiet, this is how to have imperishable beauty and to be loved by one who calls you precious. Christian ladies don't draw attention from guys by what they wear or how you act. Wearing revealing clothes might get a look, but that's not lasting beauty. Acting disrespectfully could get a few laughs, but it's not precious. God's women know that true lasting beauty and worth is found in a heart that follows Christ. Wise women use their time not to indulge themselves on gossip, alcohol, or beauty, but to invest in others for Christ-likeness. So let's look at the next part. This is going to be Titus 2, 4 through 5. Train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands. These virtues are grouped into pairs that we're gonna look at. First, to love and submit, that has to do with family. Second, self-control and purity. And the third pair is work and kindness. So first, to love and submit. Wives love their husbands and are submissive. Mothers love their children and teach them about God. Now, I know not many high school girls are married with kids here at camp today, but most of you will be one day, and it's good for you to learn how to function in, in these roles before you're actually there. So let's talk about weddings. It's always really exciting to get a wedding invitation, and if you've been to weddings, what's your favorite part? I want to know. What do you really love about weddings? What's exciting about it? Uh-huh. That is the best part. Very sweet. Sometimes a little teary-eyed. Okay, what else? What else do you love about weddings? Cake, yes. I love that. Anything else? From the sentimental to the cake. Oh, the speeches are really sweet too. Yeah, those are good. So I am always listening. I know you all have secret Pinterest boards about your wedding. Can you talk about those? Okay, it's okay. It's a secret board. <laughs> But at weddings, I always want to listen for the charge that the pastor has for the couple, the husband and wife. He describes their new duties. But could you imagine if the groom looked puzzled? Like, what? Now we live together? I'm supposed to take care of her? This is like a lifelong thing? I didn't know that. <laughs> what? Well, that would be kind of a silly example. But think about it. You have to know roles and duties ahead of time expectations for marriage should actually help you pick a boyfriend but we'll talk about that in college 
<laughs> Wives need to love their husbands. That seems rather obvious. Why would women need to be told to love their husbands? Well, the honeymoon only lasts so long. A man and woman fall in love, get engaged, married, go on that exclusive vacation. And it's all such a fairy tale of emotion and romance. But the marriage doesn't end when excitement wears off. When a couple marry, they make a covenant before God and witnesses that they will remain faithful to each other for their entire lives. Matthew 19, five to six says, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. So wives are told to be faithful and continue to love their husbands. So what can a high school girl live, learn from this? Maybe be careful who you marry. Seriously, think about a lifetime with this man before saying, I do. Marry only in the Lord. Don't even think about marrying a non-Christian or a guy who hasn't really proven himself to be committed to the Lord. Isn't serving in the church. You haven't seen him submit to church leaders. Look for a guy who you want to commit to loving the rest of your life. Also, learn to love someone when it isn't easy, like a sibling or a friend. John MacArthur in his commentary on Titus says, training yourself to love involves doing loving things for the other person, whether or not you feel like doing them. You could practice that. That's the love God calls his children to. So wives not only love their husbands, but to submit to them. That means to follow the leadership of another. John Piper addressed the mission in 1 Peter 3, and here's what he said. It's the disposition to follow a husband's authority and an inclination to yield to his leadership. It does not mean agreeing with everything your husband says, does not mean leaving your brain or your will at the wedding altar or avoiding every effort to change an unbelieving husband. It does not mean putting the will of the husband before the will of Christ or that a wife gets her personal spiritual strength from her husband. It does not mean that a wife is to act out of fear. Now, this is a fiercely hated topic by feminists, but submission is just not contained in one obscure verse, like they would say. It's all over the New Testament, and it's made clear from Genesis, when Adam was created first, and then Eve was created as a helper fit for him to be his perfect partner in fulfilling God's purpose for mankind. Let's look at Ephesians 5, 22 to 23. You can turn there because it's kind of close. Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5, 22 and 23, wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself its savior. Husbands and wives are a picture of Christ and the bride of Christ is beloved church, which he redeemed with his own blood. That's why husbands are commanded to love and care for wives and wives submit to and respect their husbands. So remember earlier, we talked about the prerequisite of understanding salvation a woman's role in life is not separate from her savior. Submission is a Christian calling, not just a female calling. Church members submit to leaders. We all submit to God. We're told to submit to rulers and governing authorities. Christians submit to each other and Christ submitted to the father. What about you? Do you submit to the Lord? Since Ephesians 5 says, submit as to the Lord. Do you obey the authorities who are in your life, your teachers, your youth leaders, your parents, or are you rebellious? It's so interesting. Ephesians 6, which is right after Ephesians 5, Ephesians 6, 1 says, children, obey your parents 
in the Lord. There's that phrase, as to the Lord, in the Lord. Do you submit and show respect to them? A godly woman can make an incredible impression on the watching world if she actually honors her parents. That being said, many adult women are not married, but have the gift of singleness as Paul describes it. It is a gift. And as a wise woman once said, we don't get to choose our gifts. Being unmarried does not in any way exclude one from God's plan and singles live out biblical womanhood in powerful ways. I know singles who are totally content in Christ. They're not pining for what God hasn't given them. Instead, they're rejoiced in the life that God has granted and they serve till they drop. The apostle Paul addresses this issue in 1 Corinthians 7. If someone is unmarried, they have less family responsibilities. So she could be a missionary or work at the church, help meet the needs of others, or be a spiritual mother to new believers. Even many of your small group leaders are godly unmarried ladies because they have the time and freedom to invest into you. Be thankful for them and be like them. The next relationship Paul addresses is with children. I tried to think of a fun babysitting story to tell you, but I wasn't really a fun babysitter. I don't think I could never get the kids to bed, so nothing came. But I love the biography of Hudson Taylor and his mother. She prayed for him as a child all the time that he would serve the Lord as a missionary, but that didn't seem likely because he was rebellious. One time on a trip, she locked herself in her room to pray for his salvation, she said, until she was certain that he was saved. It was when she returned home and saw her son that he told her he had turned to Christ that very day. His life was devoted to ministry, and he was the missionary that his mother prayed for. He spread the gospel to China and began the China Inland Mission. Mothers have an influence unlike any other. In Genesis 3.20, Adam calls his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all the living. God instructed Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply, and that was before the fall when childbearing became more difficult. Maybe in the garden, Satan thought women would give up on this high calling. But even with the curse, God's design continued, and after the flood, it was, it was repeated to Noah. But God's enemy wouldn't leave the divine design for women alone, and Satan has worked tirelessly through our culture to undermine womanhood. He has spread the lie that bringing more people into a full world is irresponsible. The devil has taken aim at God's handiwork, even within the womb. Planned Parenthood provides termination of life through abortion for any reason or no reason at all. Most recent data was from 2015 from the CDC. And just in our country, 638,169 legal abortions were reported to the CDC. And they admit there are many more that aren't legal and weren't reported. So according to those, that would mean that 19% of pregnancies were aborted. That is so sad. You may have the opportunity to defend motherhood long before you could become a mother, maybe in a persuasive essay or in psychology or science class when the topic is brought up. You can also value God's call for women to be mothers as you plan your future. If academic achievement is your top priority and you have the next 20 years of education and academics and a career planned out for yourself with no thought of a family, you might want to reconsider what's God's role for you. Mothers have an incredible influence in the world as they raise the next generation to follow him. Christian women live different as they love and serve their family. Now we're going to move to point three, self-control and purity. This is our second pair and third point under good work, self-control and purity. What defines self-control 
more than resisting the urge to eat an entire pan of warm brownies. Or is that just me? <laughs> so women are told to be sensible or self-controlled. It's repeated again and again in Titus. And the repetition tells us that it's important that Christians live sensible lives that are controlled by Christ and not by emotions. But how is that accomplished when a teenager is affected by changing hormones and new desires and complicated relationships and conflicting messages? Scripture keeps us grounded. The Bible tells us how to yield to the spirit instead of the flesh. So let's talk about just one example. How about when you're feeling sad? You can ask yourself, like the psalmist in Psalm 43, 5, why are you downcast, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. That's Psalm 43, 5. The Bible doesn't pretend like we don't have emotions, but we're taught to be sensible as we process life instead of allowing ourselves to do and say whatever feels good in the moment. Maybe we can talk about how you use your time. Are you sensible with your use of time on social media? Is your mouth in control? Let no corrupting talk proceed from your mouth. Put a halt on gossip, rudeness, foul language, lying. James says, if you have control over your tongue, you have control over your whole body. Now, self-control is listed with purity for an obvious reason. Moral purity requires sensibility and self-control. Purity or chastity is a distinctive of Christian women. Intimacy is designed by God to be expressed only within marriage. Wives are to be faithful to their husbands. And it's pretty simple for unmarried women. They're to abstain from sexual activity. If there is a temptation, flee it. If a boyfriend asks for what he does not have any right to, the relationship is over. If you need help in this area, please ask your small group leader. We know this is a huge area of temptation and questions for high schoolers, and we're ready and willing to guide you as you pursue purity. As if that wasn't hard enough, Satan has done deceptive work to convince young people that abstinence is silly, that it's old-fashioned, uninformed, naive. If you abstain before marriage, you may risk an incompatible physical relationship. But that's calling God a liar because he says that the obedient are blessed. Remember in the garden, the serpent said, did God really say, well, Eve, you don't know till you try it. Don't we wish he had just trusted God and said no to the fruit, that possibility of pleasure. Don't be fooled, ladies. You stand strong on your conviction to honor the Lord, no matter what the world says, because we live different. Let's look lastly at working and kind. Women devoted to God are workers at home and they are kind. What is work? I looked it up. Exertion or effort directed to produce or accomplish something, labor or toil. It seems that young people are set on doing as little of this as possible. Genesis 2.15 says the Lord God put the man took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. We're made to work. While the home is the foundational workplace for women, it's not the only place of employment. For example, single women do not bear the responsibilities of helping their husband or caring for young children. So they're able to work outside the home. What does being a worker at home have to do with high school girls? Well, one commentary noted that the emphasis is not on the location of her work, but on being productive in the normal occupations each day. 
I know many women who are potent salt and light in the world through their workplace. They're so different from other girls that work at their job because of their faith and the watching world is attracted to Christ. On the other hand, no one appreciates a lazy worker or group project partner who doesn't pull their weight. A female missionary once said, disorder in the home speaks loudly of disorder in the heart. How we work matters. Are you a worker at home getting homework done on time? A worker at school, rather. If you have a job, do you complete all your duties? Do you do your chores? Maybe you've even made the effort to help out with laundry or making dinner, cleaning up. So those are the practical hands-on questions. But what about your heart? Because when Paul wrote this curriculum for the older women to teach the younger, he put working at home with kindness. This is a lesson Martha learned, isn't it? She was busy serving, but she doesn't speak kindly to her sister or to the Lord. She demands that Mary help her and accuse Jesus of not caring. So Jesus reminded her that sitting at his feet and listening to his words was more important than all the work of hospitality. Young women have to remember why it is that they serve that it's out of love for God and love for others. So I love hosting friends for dinner, but it definitely counts as work to get ready. If I don't set my heart and ask the Lord to bless our time together, then I get overwhelmed with cooking and cleaning. But I've often rehearsed the motto, entertaining seeks to impress, while hospitality seeks to bless. And I remember that working at home is paired with kindness. The book of Proverbs, has an amazing contrast that we could look at. It's Proverbs 7 and Proverbs 31. I wish we could dive into it, but maybe you can look into it later. Proverbs 7 has a woman who will not stay at home. She's unfaithful to her husband. And with her words, she seduces a man into adultery. On the other hand, the Proverbs 31 woman is working hard at home. She takes care of her family. She's a blessing to her husband. And with her mouth, she gives wisdom and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. So as we near the end of our time together, I want you to know that you have small group leaders who would love to keep talking about these topics with you. We have a lot of free time leaders, so you can definitely seek them out to chat about these things. So please get together with them if you have more questions. In Titus, we have learned that biblical womanhood means loving and serving your family, being self-controlled and pure, working hard with kindness. This is in stark contrast to the culture in our world, but you live different because Jesus bought you. You live different because it adorns the gospel. You live different because it calls the world to salvation. Well, we've come to the end of our time. Thank you for listening so well, ladies. Let's rejoice in our mission from God and let me pray. God, thank you so much for this time that we've had together to study your word and see what you would have for us as women. Thank you that we have a distinct role from you, a special way to glorify you and to show the watching world who you are. God, I pray that each of us would live out our role. Help us to understand it clearly. Help us to know that as the first priority, we must come before Jesus and listen, and then we can go out and serve. God, thank you again for this time. In Jesus' name, amen.